God, I thank you that that you are amazing. You're always with us and you are great and you're with us and and great in the mountains and the valleys and it just it's it's amazing. Take the stuff I gotta say today and and do something that will encourage or help or bless or challenge or in some way move people closer to you and closer to being a little part of changing the world towards the kingdom of God. Last time I shared, I recommended to you that to know God better, we would be wise to learn how Jesus lived. I believe one of the most challenging things about having a relationship with God is this. Beyond asking for things, how do we relate to God in everyday life? Not Jesus, God. Most of us probably relate better to Jesus in daily living than we do with God. For most of us, most of the time, God is kind of a concept. But if we're going to have a genuine daily relationship with God, we must move beyond only seeing God as this big, eternal judge, creator of the universe, who may or may not answer my prayer. God is intensely personal. Here's what I'd like you to kind of keep in mind through the week, maybe, um, from all of what I'm going to share. When I learn how Jesus relates to people and situations, I can understand how God relates to people and situations in my life. When I learn how Jesus relates to people and situations, I can understand how God relates to people and situations in my life. So today I'd like to talk about how to apply this in several current issues that are going on in the world today. The first one is about religion. Religious people are those people who believe that being a good Christian requires that you follow a bunch of rules and do all the right things. The more religiously, the more perfect the rules are followed, the better you are. Now, there are a number of people that Jesus identified as being contrary to the kingdom of God. But nobody got called out more by Jesus, more frequently or severely than religious people. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how often Jesus opposed religion. However, and what's interesting to me is, Jesus never turned away a person from a religious group who was seeking the truth, seeking a relationship with God. I think it's significant that the longest dialogue recorded between Jesus and another person is found in John 3. And that's where Jesus talked to the Pharisee, Nicodemus. As Christians, we are to avoid making rules become the measurement for salvation and holiness at the expense of relationship with God. But we are always to be gracious and open to talk with people about how amazing relationship with Jesus is 
even when that person is coming from a very religious viewpoint. Mark Chiaroni, a pastor in New York City, said this, Relationship is the central principle of the universe. Everything drives off of relationship. Jesus was opposed to blindly and heartlessly following rules. Jesus was completely committed to relationship, restoring relationships, developing relationships, anything to do with relationship. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how often Jesus taught and how he ministered. It was all about restoring and developing relationship. Since Jesus was committed to relationship, we can know with confidence that God is not interested in you following rules. God is completely committed to relationship with you, with me, and with every person on earth. Second thing I just want to touch on is friendship. Most of us would give some sort of description to the qualities of a good friend. However, most of us would be challenged to say we have a functional relationship, a functional friendship with God. John 15, 15. I'm not going to use a lot of verses today because there are too many, so I just picked a couple. John 15, 15 says this, Jesus is speaking and he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business, does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. To call someone a friend is a high compliment to the value of relationship. Now, I believe people are sincere when they say they have lots of friends. But there is a distinction. Friends that are a biblical quality, like in John 15, 15, are the people we tell our business. They know our stuff. The quality friend gets to hear the things that are close to our hearts. Jesus knew how to be a friend. Jesus was really good friends with Lazarus. The story of Lazarus rising from the dead is in John 11. This quality of friend, like like Lazarus, was so close a friend to Jesus that when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. But what's remarkable is Jesus wept about his friend being in the tomb, even though Jesus already knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And knowing he was going to do that, he still wept. Why? Because that's the heart commitment of Jesus to a friend. He knows how to rescue us. He knows how to empower us. He knows how to open doors for us. He knows how to provide for us. But when things are difficult, Jesus weeps with us because that's what friends do. Even though he knows he's got the way out, the provision, the way to move forward. Jesus is the best friend we can ever have. Jesus demonstrated the qualities 
of a really good friend. He's patient. He's willing to invest time. He's compassionate. He's committed to the relationship. He values the person as an individual and more and more. Again, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with an eye towards seeing Jesus as a friend. Jesus is a good friend, a best friend. And if we have seen Jesus as a good friend, that means we can see God as a good friend too. That personal, God can be that personal. Not only Jesus, but God. May God's friendship smile become more and more real to you every day. When I learn how Jesus related to people and situations, I can understand how God relates to people and situations in my life. Third thing I want to talk about is social justice. Now, social justice is a big word for many people around the world and perhaps particularly in North America. It's talked about in all kinds of forums, in all kinds of media, for all types of issues. It's interesting, when I've asked people what the definition for social justice is, it's really hard for them to get a clear definition. Most of the definitions tended to use negatives to describe social justice. What was wrong, what was missing, what needed to be changed, And those things were used to define social justice. These, um, if I can use this term, these what is wrong definitions don't really point toward what social, I said that well, didn't I? These what is wrong definitions don't really point toward what social justice is or perhaps could be. This This is the best definition I could find. Social justice means equal rights and equitable opportunities for everyone. So those of you who have been maybe describing it as things that are wrong and, you know, that kind of a thing, this might help you. Social justice means equal rights and equitable opportunities for everyone. If this is what social justice means, most of us would be in favor of it, at least to some degree. Thank you, Shole. I don't know how you kept up with that one. High five for you. There is not time this morning to read the many, many verses where Jesus speaks into the issues related to social justice or equal rights and equitable opportunities for everyone. Here is an incomplete list of biblically social justices from Jesus' life and teaching. They include this, the rights and the equality of widows, orphans, women, the elderly, the disabled, the poor, the persecuted, the needy, the sick, the dying, the oppressed, the betrayed, the unforgiven, outcasts, the hungry, fair wages to workers, the value of children, restoration of broken relationships, equal justice under the law, and integrity in leadership. 
I'm sure you could find more. As you read about Jesus and social justice, pay attention to how Jesus addressed the issues. It's the place where you and I start as we begin to address the social issues that have caught our attention. Jesus often spoke about social justice issues. If Jesus cared about social justice, that means God cares about social justice. That means the way we talk about our relationship with Jesus and God are relevant to the social justice issues of people we meet every day. God values the people and the issues that Jesus spoke to and spoke about. If you are into social justice, I have some really good news for you. God highly values social justice as well. Me too. The last one I want to talk about is probably in the news more than just about anything right now. I want to talk about racism. Now, to start off with, if you have been a victim of racism and there's damage because of it, Jesus loves you and desires to heal and set you free from the stigma and the pain of racism. Find someone to pray with you, to do inner healing with you, for the specific issues in your life that are related to the impact of racism. You can discover how completely God wants to heal you and set you free. Now, I hope my next sentence is not true but unfortunately, it probably is. I anticipate that everyone here has, at one time or another, been the object of racism. Now, as a white male of European descent in North America, I would probably be considered least likely to have ever experienced racism. But I, too, have had racist remarks said to me because I'm white and a male. Now, I'm certain I have not experienced racism to the degree that most of the rest of you have been subject to. I bring that up because racism seems to be a near universal plague put on humanity by hell. How does God specifically feel about racism? Excuse me. Jesus had to deal with the experience of racism. If we understand how Jesus experienced and responded to racism, we can also know how God feels about it. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. I'm seeing one or two people turn there. Um, you haven't memorized this passage, I'm, I promise you. So you might want to turn and look at it. How does God feel about racism? Luke nine fifty one to 56. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven... 
he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Verse 53. But the people in that village did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. The Samaritan village didn't want to welcome Jesus simply because he was Jewish. James and John responded to racism the way most of our culture does today. If the Samaritans are the enemy, they need to be punished or destroyed. That's how most of our culture works in responding to racism right now. There's something that's racist. Let's have a protest. Let's have a riot. Let's vote them out of office. By the way, Rebuke just means stop it or stop what you're doing. When most people talk about rebuke in the Bible, they describe a rebuke as negative or even a harsh experience. But I don't think Jesus was harsh here. He's walking with the, with the boys, raising them up, learn, teaching them how to be genuine examples of heaven. I don't think he was harsh. He loved these men. I believe when they said what they said, hey, can we call down fire and wipe them out because of what they did? I think Jesus just said, men, stop what you're saying. Stop what you want to do. It doesn't say that. You can think something else. That's okay. It just says, stop it. But that's what rebuke means. Stop it. You know, I think that Jesus and the disciples probably had a really interesting conversation about racism at the dinner table that evening. We see how Jesus felt about racism and what he did with people, even his friends who wanted to respond violently because of the racist behavior toward them. Now, get please hear this. Jesus never said racist behavior was ever right, not one time or that they should ignore that it exists, not one time. Jesus told the men they should not respond with violence and choose a different option for their response. Now that's kind of at a, at a, a corporate or ethnic level. How did Jesus respond to an individual level in a situation that included racism? John 4, 1 to 26 is the encounter Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. I want to just look at the uh, piece of it. Starts in verse 3, the second half of verse 3, and goes through verse 10. I'm confident you didn't um, memorize that one either, so take a moment and go in your Bible, however you get there, John chapter 4, and we're going to start in the middle of verse 3. John chapter 4, verse 3, starting in the middle, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So when he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or 
That's my best guess. He came to this town near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6, Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me something to drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Continuing with verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. From that statement, Jesus went on to give the woman a God encounter. He got a word of knowledge for her that told her this was an unusual circumstance. Part of a God encounter, however, is being nice. Even to people who are not like us. Jesus was nice to this woman who demonstrated or at least questioned the issue of race between the two of them. Then he broke through her uncertainty with a word of knowledge. She encountered God. She believed, and many of her Samaritan friends also believed in Jesus because Jesus was willing to not let racism be a component of separating him from a woman who was open to encounter God. How did Jesus feel about racism? On a general ethnic level, Jesus never made issue of race when it was directed toward him. He simply went somewhere else. If we hear about racism on the news or in the paper or whatever, we can just go somewhere else. We can address the whole thing a different way because that's on a an entire, you know, ethnic level. Jesus just said, hey, let's do something else. Let's go to another town. On a personal level, though, with a woman at the well, Jesus, again, did not make race the issue. Jesus focused on the needs and the pain in her life and her relationship with God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God doesn't make race an issue. Why? Because Jesus loves every individual person and is willing and desires to heal that individual person, meet them where they're at, and bring them into relationship to God. The issue of relationship with God is simply superseding to the issue of race or gender or whatever other self-social uh, issue you've got in front of you. Jesus loves and wants to connect with every person of every race. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And that means God loves and wants to connect with every person of every race because God relates to race the same way Jesus did. I've been talking to God about what to do about this in my own life. And I can't really do anything on a 
ethnic level or a, you know, national level or even a city level. But that's true of social justice issues, religious issues, or even how people interact in our friends with people. But I can do something on an individual level. A couple of weeks ago, um, I, I met a person that I meet periodically uh, when I'm doing the business and um, doing my business. And so she had shared just a little bit about a challenge she was having at work being a woman who is black. So I think it was Tuesday. I don't remember, but I'm going to say on Tuesday, I texted and asked if I could make an appointment with her. And she said, yeah. And so I said, well, you know, can I bring you some tea or coffee? And she said, well, that's just a funny thing to say. But I felt like making something sort of a little more personal was just the thing to do. Because I'm going, God, I don't even know what I'm doing going to talk to this person. So I made an appointment to see her Friday, two days ago. She's a woman who's 50 years old. She's black. Most of her family lives in the, in Barbados where she grew up. She's divorced with a daughter of four, who is 14 years old. I asked her to tell me what she thought I needed to know and understand about the current race relationship. Can I start that sentence over? Sorry, Zip. I asked her to tell me what she thought I needed to know and understand about the current race relations in North America. She was glad to do that. And for about 15 minutes straight and with a good deal of passion, she told me how racism impacted her life, what it meant for her to be a black woman in North America, in Toronto. And I listened. Then she said that racism toward blacks for her is not just about her own life, but the life of her 14-year-old daughter. And then she paused for a minute. And I got the sense there was more to that situation with her daughter than only being a race issue. I felt God say to talk to her about her daughter. So I said something like this. This isn't verbatim, but it's something like this. It is so hard to raise a strong-willed 14-year-old under any circumstances. But it must have been really hard, doubly hard, to raise her as a single mom and having to do it with the additional burden of racism. She looked at me and said this. How do you know that? How could you understand that? I said to her, God told me. I know you're a Christian, and God wants to make sure you know that he understands the specific issues and challenges you face. And God said for me to tell you, you are a great mother and an amazing woman. And then it was time for tissues and prayer ministry time.
As the ministry and heart healing time came to a close, she said, I knew we were going to talk together today. I had no idea the conversation would go this way. Thank you so much. I said, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime. I I have a lot to learn. She looked at me and dabbed her eyes again and said, absolutely. Apparently, so do I. Regardless of the difficulty of the situation, even in our modern culture, with all of the contemporary issues, we can learn how God feels about situations and issues by learning from what Jesus said and did. Here's what I want you to go home with today or go through the week with. When I learn how Jesus related to people and situations, I can understand how God relates to the people and situations in my life. So my encouragement for you is read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read all the stories, the accounts of what Jesus did, how he interacted with people, what he said to the disciples as he was teaching them, what he said to the, to the groups of people like in the Sermon on the Mount. Learn about how Jesus relates to people. Learn how Jesus relates to uh, people groups. Learn how Jesus relates to individuals. What you see Jesus doing and saying, you can apply to God. And if you do that, it will change the way you relate to God. So, Father, I don't know how you go about doing this thing. But, God, I want to be relevant because you are relevant. And I ask in your kindness that you would show each one of us that you as God are as personal and as connected and as involved and as passionate as Jesus is involved in our life. And God, that we wouldn't look at social issues as being a thing that God just somehow takes care of, but that we are part of the issue. But better, we are part of the solution because we carry you and your presence into the lives of men and women who have been wrecked by religion and broken friendships and victims of social injustice and racism. And we carry the capacity to bring God's healing into their lives. I thank you for courage, God. I thank you for your presence to be there and do what we cannot do on our own, which is to bring the very presence of God to people who are broken and in need of healing and vision and restoration and hope. Amen. Ara.